Let me invite you to turn to Psalm 94 as we continue marching in our periodic way through the Psalms. Psalm 94. I was shown by one of our youngsters this evening where she is writing Psalm 98. Oh, sing a new song uh, to the Lord. Uh, sing to the Lord a new song. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to that song because having uh, young folks sitting on the edge of their seat and knowing the verse uh, is a wonderful aid. Uh, Psalm 94 is a little different than uh, what we're used to in this section. Uh, it's a challenging psalm. As we come before it, we seek the Lord's face. Let's pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we ask that you would help us as we read your word and preach your word. Uh, may it honor you. May we come to understanding. Uh, and may your Holy Spirit apply it to our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 94, hear the inerrant and inspired word of God. O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear... Does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, nor will he abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my hearts are many, heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to our hearts and to our lives. This is not an easy psalm. It, it, it's rather difficult and it, it deals with the theme of justice, which is a hard topic in and of itself, especially in our own day. 
You know, when I was a child, about the age of some that are here, my concepts of justice were thoroughly formed by Perry Mason. I used to sit and watch Perry Mason in the afternoon after school, and then when I got a little bit older, you know, every once in a while you had the privilege of being just sick enough not to have to go to school. And you could watch all those wonderful, uh, you know, cowboy spaghetti westerns in the afternoon and Perry Mason before school let out. He was insightful. He was professional. Perry Mason was honorable. That was good. Then came the people's court with Judge Joseph Wapner. Do you remember him? He was firm, but you know, I have to admit, he was cheesy and very bald. Justice Wapner, he would dispense justice of some sort. I was never quite sure that, that there was the dignity in his presentation in the people's court that there was for Perry Mason. And so it left you wondering on some level whether it was all really fair. And now I'm no expert in these things. I don't much like to watch the television. But I have seen Judge Judy and her host of other silly followers after. And they seem to excel mostly in legal sassiness. And I'm not sure that helps anyone. You know, the old adage is true. Our system of justice is just awful. Yet it appears to be the least worse of all the bunch in the world. And so we march on and give thanks to God for the modicum of justice we do have. You see, we're in a fallen world, and life in a fallen world ensures that things are less than ideal. Uh, Those hopes, those, those dreams that we have for civil justice and political order and and all being right at home and abroad, you, you need to understand it's just not that way and will not be that way until the Lord returns. Uh, especially during a political season, we, we can break out into a 105 degree temperature and need maybe on some levels to be taken to the hospital to, to calm our fevered brow by all the nonsense we see and hear. But remember... That in the world, until the Lord comes, it will never be what it ought. And for the church and life in the church, there will always be strains of misery and and death as the enemy opposes both from without and even from within. It's that way in a fallen world. Psalm 94 is a place where we are reassured by God by the Holy Spirit poured out through the psalmist, we are reassured that ultimately there will be justice and right. You see, this uh, psalm is curious. It's in, a, in the middle of a, a set of psalms that, that speak of the kingly reign of Jesus to come and, and those foreshadowings of it uh, in redemptive history in the nation of Israel and particularly in Judah. But here the psalmist sings not in triumph, but rather the psalmist sings about the difficulty and oppression without and especially within that the people of God feel, and how there is injustice in the land and even in the church. But here we are reassured by these words, Jesus and his church cry 
for justice, which is always ultimately answered by our Heavenly Father, Jesus and His people cry out, and the Heavenly Father will surely set things right. Now the presentation here is not just musical, it's also uh, really kind of progressive in a courtroom way. I, I kind of feel embarrassed and ashamed to be the one preaching this passage because we have a senior pastor who is a lawyer and he would be able to parse this with, with much more clarity even than Perry Mason. But I will make my attempt. Psalm 94 begins with charges, as it were, laid on the judge's bench. By analogy, we can think of them in that way. There is an appeal made personally to the judge. Look at the first three verses. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? And so by these opening words as they're sung and they fall on our ear, we we know there's trouble in River City. There's, there's a problem in the church. There's a problem in the world. And God is the one to whom the psalmist is crying and pleading for his aid. God is mighty. He is able to bring justice, not just to keep the peace, but to make the peace by his strong and mighty arm. And when evil has been done that is systemic, where there's pride behind it, where there's real wickedness that boasts in evil. God is here said to be the God of vengeance and He can shine forth and crack the whip and make everything right. An appeal here is made to our great judge. And so as we rise up and go through our days, we need to recognize that the Lord in this psalm calls us to look beyond ourselves. You know, when you're young, you really don't see so very far. Now, I'm no medical official, but you know with babies, it just seems intuitively to be that the closer you get to them, uh, the more they smile and the more they uh, Uh, babble back and forth with you. If you're way over on the other side of the room, it's like they don't know you're there. But if you're close, then, then it's very personal and very interactive and it's a wonderful, joyous experience. Well, in the same way, here the Lord is the one that they are addressing. And they're lifting up their eyes to heaven, the psalmist and those singing with him. And they're crying to him. They're not just possessed like a child with all the electrons running right around their nose in in selfish, local focus, but rather they turn in their trouble and they focus on God. The appeal is made to the judge of all the earth, we're told in verse 2. The one who is the creator, the one who is the sustainer, the one who has all power and might, the one in whose image we are made and therefore to whom we are accountable. He is the justice that is here addressed. And then in verses 4 to 7, it's as if the charges are laid out. They're specified. They're put to writing. More than that here, they're put to song so that they might penetrate down to our very hearts. Not just in the way that we think, but also the way that we feel. Here, verse 4, what they have done. They pour out their arrogant words All the evildoers boast. And every one of us have 
somewhere in the synapses of our mind, a little vibration, an electrical charge. You know, one of the most difficult places in all my life that I ever lived was on the playground at Aiken Elementary School in Aiken, South Carolina. There's no tougher place than being around a group of other kids, especially if your name is a little odd and is associated with uh, a certain kind of cake mix which is sold in all the local stores. If I was noticed and things weren't going well, I was Duncan Hines cake mix. So light and tender you can beat him up. And then they would all jump on me. It was a rough childhood that I had. It was good my wife Shirley was there in the fourth grade to rescue me from all that trouble. You know, I had a name that got me in other trouble. Kids are seasonal. One time it's marble season. Another time it's baseball season. And there was always every year just a couple, two, three, four weeks where it was yo-yo season. And that was very bad because you see Duncan yo-yos, those were in everyone's hands. Uh, the butt of Duncan ketchup jokes, it was very traumatizing. And, and then when Duncan donuts came to our town, that was not good. Here... The wicked and the arrogant are the ones who are boasting in their evil. They have been the ones beating up on the people of God. Those who are coming and laying out charges before God and are lodging their complaint, they are cataloging all of the terrible things that have been done to them. What's interesting is the language that's used here. Uh, It's not the language of the nations and those that are outsiders. It's rather language that is traditionally used for insiders. The wicked, the arrogant, the evildoers. They seem to be those who are inside the church that are doing the bidding somehow of others who are outside. Perhaps it's a situation where there's uh, some oppressor that has come upon them or or they have uh, come to some degree in subjugation. You know, Israel was in a very difficult position. It had Babylon and Assyria in the north, and it had Egypt in the south, and there was this constant teeter-totter of of, uh, tectonic plates fighting one against another as these nations uh, on the edges uh, of Israel would would view Israel as a place uh, that was good to conquer and rule over and have control over because of the king's highway that went right through. And so somehow it appears from the words of the psalm that there are those in the government of God's people, in the law of God's people, that serve someone other than God. They twist and turn in statute what should be the true and faithful word of God to serve ones other than Him. And so they cry out to Him. The people of God cry out and say, Lord, this isn't right. They boast, these evildoers. They crush your people and they afflict your heritage. There's a a clear understanding that within the church there's the visible and invisible. And and there are those among the nation of Israel who are not of the nation of Israel. And and they're not spiritually the Lord's. and, And they are beating up on God's true elect and oppressing them. They kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. 
And notice that we definitively see that some of these are within the visible church of the day because they address God by name. These are words coming out of the mouth of the evildoers. The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. There's an assumption there that He is real and that He's true. He really exists. They have grown up in the church, but they have not in their hearts accepted the things of God. And so they are like the Sadducees of Jesus' day, who were the consummate politicians and knew how to mediate between the Romans on the one hand and the Pharisees and the people on the other. Oh my, what trouble there is. And these charges are quite serious that are laid down. It's not atheism they're being charged with. It's heresy and it's oppression and it's wickedness towards their brothers, the people of God. And then notice is given a further formal statement of the charges that had been filed. It's as if those making the accusation turn and speak to the broader audience in the courtroom. Understand, it says in verse 8, Understand, O dullest of the people, Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. It's as if the prosecuting uh, attorney, as it were, turns to the judge and the defense turns to the accused and rebukes the accused for the terms in which, uh, the terms which have just come out of his mouth that God does not see and God will do nothing against their evil. And so the charges are laid in the courtroom officially and the room is silent. But you know, when charges are made, those specifications must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a shadow of doubt, there's some judicial standard. And so the psalmist begins singing about the evidence and the truth. He begins telling the story from the point of view of the offended ones. He gives the argument of the offended and pressed party. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Here, the argument of the offended party is made to the great judge. And there is the assertion in verse 12 that In the midst of difficulty and trouble, sanctification comes and growth in the knowledge of the word of the Lord. God disciplines His people. He uses evil for good in their life. He uses heartbreak and tragedy to chisel us into more of the image of Christ our Lord who is to come. Sanctification strangely comes through suffering. The psalmist is singing to us here. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and you teach out of your law to give him rest from his days of trouble 
until the pit for the wicked is dug, until judgment indeed does come. And then in verses 13 to 15, we read about providence unfolding divine design. You see, God is the one who sees to it the pit is dug. He has prepared the lake of fire. He will indeed see that there is judgment and righteousness that prevails. God is said in verse 14 not to forsake His people even though the oppressed party has come because it looks like that indeed is what has happened, that the Lord has abandoned them and there is no hope. And so the hope of the hopeless is God Himself and the salvation that comes through His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will Follow it. The psalmist reassures us that the victory of God over evil is sure. And then the wrong give their closing argument. In verse 16, they put it very simply. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? The last word in the courtroom drama of the offended party is to leave ringing in the ears of everyone and particularly in the ears of the judge an interrogatory that begs an answer, that begs an answer from Almighty God thundering down from the bench and it comes. If the Lord had not been my help, if my soul, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are too many, your consolations cheer my soul. To the rhetorical question that is asked, who will be my help? The psalmist sings, in glorious strains. Oh, I wish we had the music to go with it. That God is the one who is the help of our soul. That God is our steadfast love. That God is the one that holds you and me up even though we go through the valley of the shadow. That is the great clinching argument. Help comes from God. And so we know that God's judgment is sure. Verse 20 says, Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God is the rock of my refuge. God's judgment is sure. God's judgment is true. He is not to be doubted. His people with the psalmist can sing and their hearts can rest in Him. That doesn't mean it all gets easy the next day. It doesn't mean that uh, the lights come on and the darkness flees and the shadows are taken away and there's no more trouble or heartache or difficulty in this moment in which we sing with the psalmist, Psalm 94. No, no. Salvation, the sanctification aspect of salvation comes through suffering. God is the one who is digging the pit for the wicked. 
God is the one who will overthrow them, who crush His people. And though we find ourselves bowed down by pain and grief and suffering and oppression and fear and terror, we know for sure that God's judgment avenges ultimately for the wrongs done. Verse 23 ends on that triumphant note that we need so desperately in our hearts. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Now that may seem strange to you. What's so comforting about the fact that God's going to get them? Well, the reality of evil in our universe, all the, the ripples of dislocation and damage that strain and touch and break us each and every one in our lives, all of it in the face of a holy and righteous God who made us holy and righteous in His image and called us to be like His Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That truth, that difference, the strain of that field demands that God set things right. And that's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to accept and to understand in our minds and especially in our hearts. I'll show you some proof of that. You just sang some proof of how hard that is. You know, I love the Red Trinity Psalter. It's uh, the best Psalter, one of the best that I have ever enjoyed singing from. And, and I continue to learn uh, good truths and, and good hymns. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. We sang just earlier a, a very wonderful and well-known hymn, 10,000 times 10,000. It's the mathematician's favorite hymn in all the book. You know, what a hymnal is supposed to do is reflect in song the full range of Christian doctrine, the full range of Christian experience, so that we ourselves can learn how to think and how to feel about those truths as we sing them. Uh, you can see something of it in the, in the uh, table of contents for the hymnal. It's a It's a wonderful hymnal. It it begins with God and and with the Holy Trinity and and with God's work. It's a little different order than the Westminster Confession and the Protestant Confessions. Uh, Then they recognize, well, we better talk about God's Word. I kind of would like those reversed, you know, and God's Word first, but it's it's okay. And then it talks about the the Son of God incarnate, Jesus, our only mediator, His, His deity, His praise, His love and grace. His advent and His birth, they they put it all together there around 200. It's very easy to find them. Uh, We get His life and His ministry, His atoning suffering and death, all of that. His resurrection, His ascension, His exaltation, prophet, priest, and king. And then the section on our Lord Jesus Christ ends with His second coming and judgment. And most of the hymns in this section are not well known to the average churchgoer. But 10,000 times 10,000 is one of the most well known, most appreciated, and most profitable, I'm, I'm sure. 
As a matter of fact, it, the words are so good that, that RUF's come out with a hip version of the tune, and you can tap your toe to that as you ride along in the car and listen to your iPod. But what's missing in this hymn? It talks about the second coming of Jesus. It talks about it in stirring terms that, you know, they, they bring up to mind the kind of glorious, triumphant scene at the end of the first Star Wars movie, I must confess. The whole assembly is there, you know, and the Wookiee tells them to, to stand up and clap as the heroes come in. It's the triumphant scene of the mass meeting. It's wonderful. 10,000 times 10,000 in sparkling raiment bright, the armies of the ransomed saints throng up the streets of light, steeps of light. Tis finished, all is finished, their fight with death and sin. Fling open wide the golden gates and let the victors in. Every word is true. Every verse is true in the psalm. But what's missing is a clear and firm musical and vocal affirmation of what Psalm 94 deals with, which is the, with the vengeance and the judgment and the ultimate justice of God. Uh, you can turn back a couple of hymns and go back a few centuries and pick up John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Great hymn, 319, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders. And there he speaks of judgment and he can only bring himself to refer to it in verse with a question. He says in verse 3, Careless sinner, What will then become of thee? He doesn't answer it. He doesn't tell us, as the psalmist does here, that the Lord our God will wipe them out, that He will bring justice, and all will be right in the world. He doesn't reassure us with that fact. But if you want to see the judgment of God that the Son Himself will mete out, the clearest picture of it in the hymnal is to turn to the hymns about the cross and the suffering of Jesus. The Lamb who was slain for His people. He drank the cup of God's wrath against His people to the very dregs. Not one drop is left. And so on that old wooden cross we see the clearest picture of God's wrath against sin that we will see again on that day when the goats are led away and cast by angels into the lake of fire and we will stand awestruck and dumb before Him as He accomplishes His ultimate victory and the glory of the powerful Lamb. Oh, we do well to hear Psalm 94 and even its thunderous end. You know, many years ago I had the privilege of pastoring in a church where we had uh, a young man who was a communing member of the church who was incarcerated. He was in the Brushy Mountain State Prison in Tennessee for attempted murder and successful murder. And after 10 years in that place, during which in the early days he came to faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He made a profession of faith in Him. 
after reading one of R.C. Sproul's books and being in a Bible study led by a previous pastor of the church that I, that I uh, cared for. Uh, ten years after, we received a fax from a Christian publisher that kept sending him books. And uh, they asked us, you know, here's this young man. He has, he has no one to have fellowship with spiritually. Would you all go visit him? So I, I went and visited him. And, and we met with a chaplain and had discussions. And, and our session was unclear about exactly the point at which you would say that someone had demonstrated by life behind bars the sincerity of their profession of faith. We didn't know how long it should be before he would be admitted to the Lord's table, but we were quite sure it was something less than 10 years. And so the session was allowed to go and serve him the supper and to worship with him together. The state limited who could be there, but we had a worship service and we praise the name of the Lord. You know, one of the most frightful sounds I've ever heard in my life, I heard in that prison the first time I went in. You see, you go into this little transition area, and, and one door opens and another closes. And then once you get to the real inside, they have this big door, just like in the Perry Mason movies, and they slam it shut. The clanking sound of that door being shut so that you couldn't get out if your life depended on it was one of the most frightful sounds and the most educating sounds I've ever heard. Oh, how I wish that all our children could hear it as visitors. It was amazing. Uh, There was a history of riots at different points in that prison And the small cell of believers that began to grow up there, they could tell that some of us were nervous and they said, don't worry, if something happens, we will give our lives defending you and protecting you. Uh, That young man today is a uh, candidate for the gospel ministry in the Tennessee Valley Presbytery. A few years he is to be released after serving his sentence and the hope is, is that he will be able to minister in the prisons or to especially the released community uh, and bear witness where God has need and where very few others have been willing to go. But that clanking sound of the jail room door is how this psalm ends. God will wipe them out. He will wipe them out for their wickedness. And so our hearts are humbled before him who answers our prayers, yea and amen, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we get to hear that sound as visitors because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that the fact that you were a God of justice rather than disturbing our souls, might quiet them. We pray, O Lord, that in all the fury of the world and in all the confusion and even evil in the church, visible, that you would show yourself mighty and able to save and that you would save to the uttermost. Give us peace with the fact that you are sovereign and you will set all things right. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.